1: Welcome again this week to the basement binge. We watched Inception, a normal movie. So I will start with my two cents of this movie. In case you want to start the timer. Okay, so I mean, this movie. Again, we said this last week, but it's a movie that you can watch over and over and over again, and never like you always notice some new things. Like like when we watched Spider Verse, was like, oh, I could watch this movie and know everything about it and notice like minor details, but just enjoy it every time. But I feel like this movie every single time you watch it, you notice like huge details that give it more meaning or greater impact or something. Um, I noticed the music a ton in this movie, like Holy smokes music, just not necessarily like a an emotional level, but it's just like intense and fun the whole time. It's yeah. just fun to enjoy. I also think it's ridiculous how someone could come up with an idea like this. Like I've seen this movie 10 plus times and I'm still don't understand it completely. And I can't imagine like how you would come up with that and be like, okay, okay I've got this idea and now I'm going to tell it through movie format in a way that makes sense to people, blows their mind at the same time. Oh, and I'm going to tell it out of order in a weird sequence and I'm going to throw in little details that totally aren't necessary. But once you know what it means, like it just adds greater depth to it. It's just like, how do you get to that level (laughs) of (laughs) like understanding of what you're doing? It's just totally ridiculous. I I don't, I don't know. It's, It's amazing to me. So yeah, I love the movie. It's a uh, pretty, pretty phenomenal movie. Really enjoyed it. So yeah, how much time do I have left? Yeah,
0: thirty seconds. Man, uh, I don't. I, there's, the, there's
1: so many things I want to say, but I like don't want to ruin it for later. Um, this time, I really felt like I understood like the laws, so to speak, of this movie, of the lore of the movie. But I will say, I also like finally found like a a theme for it. Like I always struggled to understand like what what is this movie trying to say besides like this is a really cool idea and dreams are really cool and what if you could manipulate them it's just like it it has a meaning now which which i really really enjoyed um you know just kind of the power in a positive way of of guilt all
2: right that brings it to me all right so man holy cow guys i freaking love this movie Like, it's been since the day I watched it. I remember I was like 14 or something when it came out. We walked out of the theaters, and we were all... I can't remember. It was a long time ago, but holy cow. It was so good, and every time I watch it, it's freaking good every time. I can't... I don't get it. It's like it's always been in my top three movies since it came out. And even now, like, watching it, I get chills. I get so hyped. I freaking love that movie. But one thing that's so cool about it is... Harrison you kind of mentioned is that how it's all like connected like even just like the whole movie is just a loop like you know they're talking about dreams or dream within a dream but the whole movie like from the opening scene it brings you back to the last scene and it ties again like, all the arcs and themes of the whole freaking movie and it's so well written the dialogue the music is just mind-blowing I freaking love it and this is uh, and it introduced so many different like ways to film a movie that this thing is just like wow that is really cool i have no idea how they did it but it totally works with the movie and it was it had great moments of like super funny dope action it was just awesome and so and i love the feeling in it the acting was great i love all the actors but like how they really played like and they even talked about how like, mo- like emotions will totally like make a difference and how the people are in the dream and what they're like, it, it, I don't know. It's a little hard to explain, but, and so they really did like a huge part on keying in on emotions, like, especially with um, Fisher and his dad, the relationship they had and how he had to really just, they dove into that to really help him like achieve Inception. So I don't know, it was super deep. I'm going way too deep here, but man, what a great movie.
0: Okay, here's my two cents. So, first thing that I, so one thing I wanted to, like, first off, this is my favorite movie of all time. Like, yeah, this is my favorite movie. (laughs) I've watched this six, maybe seven times. Um, There's one time where I actually watched this by myself at night, back when I was, when it first came out, and then I finished it, and it was like 1230 at night, and I just started the movie over again and watched it over again, like right after that. Because I just love the concept. And I've always loved the idea of like dreams than dreams and that, that whole uh, genre. So I'm obsessed with this movie. And so when I came into this movie for like the billionth time, I wanted to like look at the small minor details. And one thing I wanted to point out <coughs> and what I thought was so interesting when I first watched the movie was was they started the movie of him on the beach. And I like when he showed it the second time of him on the beach almost at the end of the movie, it clicked. Is that the water and the, oh, and the ocean, like the ocean coming to the land is the connection between reality and dreams. That's what I feel like the he wanted to make a point with that. And I thought it was so cool. Now, I never noticed it before because I've watched this so many times and I feel like. I was kind of nervous watching it again because I didn't want to ruin it or if it, was, if it was like be bland at all. But this time, it just I just realized something different. And it just it makes me love the movie even more because it did not get boring throughout the whole movie. It was just great throughout. And I have some other Easter eggs that I've been meaning to point out. But one thing I noticed that throughout the movie is that the imagery within the... Um, Oh, got like two seconds. This imagery of the, of the shots I want to talk about later, but awesome movie, still love it. Okay,
1: okay, okay all right. So uh, two cents there. Oh, it's tough. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So first, I say before we jump into all the like the fun stuff we noticed, let's just pick our poison. So I personally, obviously, hands down, would own this movie. Like just because of what we talked about, the rewatchability of it. Like not only is it a movie that you could sit down with your friends and be like, oh, let's have a good time. Let's let's watch Inception and like the joy of just being entertained by the movie totally worth it time and time again but also just like a movie that makes you think about like trying to understand the movie but also now something I learned this time it's like a movie that makes me think about myself so totally watchable movie that deserves to be owned
2: oh yeah I definitely second that picking my poison I would own this movie and this is the kind of movie you could watch like once a week honestly every time I watch it I pick up on different themes and I think it's really cool it's like Talking with you guys, you guys mentioned things I never. It just totally like went over my head. It's like what the heck? So it's a kind of movie where like you could watch time and time again, and you pick up on so many different things. And the way it's made, it's just like you could even just like totally take it for a way that they didn't intend it to be. So the, it hands down a great movie. I would totally. I do own this. So
0: yeah, yeah, it's a great movie. Well, you know how I feel. My favorite movie of all time i recommend everyone to own this movie um if you rent it i'm sorry. wasting your money you wasting <laughs> your money there you're gonna just end up buying it <laughs> yeah it's total total buy for me so yeah. around the table all of us want to buy it okay
1: so in case i forgot to mention that pick your poison as if you wouldn't you know never s- see it again one if somebody else you know or two if somebody else had it and just mentioned watching it three rent it four own it whatever kind of loose scale okay so fun stuff that we noticed this time i have so many i don't just want to dominate this conversation but the first one that i just have to point out that i noticed um this time and now i should have written these down because i have so many that i can't remember um but one of them that i noticed this time was that I don't remember what I was going to say. Gosh, this happens every time. I'll just stick with this one that I remember that I wanted to reveal later. But Cobbs, or the totems—is what it was like totems. I noticed this the last time I watched it, not this this time. But I think it's cool when um, Arthur explains the to explains what a totem is to Ariane Ariande, however you say her Ariadne, however you say her name is like a totem. I always thought it was like oh, a totem's supposed to help you know when you're dreaming, like the difference between reality and dream. But he explains that a totem. Is so you know when you're not in somebody else's dream, not necessarily just dreaming in general, but somebody else's. Because like your totem's a very specific thing; it has a specific weight, and it's unique in a way that when someone else would dream you into this dream and would dream your totem, they would dream it wrong. Yeah, they wouldn't know how it works. Yeah, they wouldn't know the specificity of it or uniqueness. So you know, oh, someone else got it wrong. I'm in their dream. So, which I thought was real because like. Cobb is... I mean, it's not his totem, but he's constantly checking his wife's totem as if he's worried he's in somebody else's dream, which made me realize that, like, maybe he's, he's worried about controlling his life. I don't know. It was interesting. Just that I noticed that the totems aren't necessarily dream versus reality,
0: but it's somebody else's dream. That's an interesting detail because I always thought, like, it's always, the you know, just between reality and, like, a dream. And one thing I want... While you mention that, the totem thing, is that this... I heard about this Easter egg or this little small little reference from somebody else. And I wanted to find out. I never had the chance to actually watch it and look for it. And this time I was able to look for it. And it's Cobb's wedding ring. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's his totem. It's, it's, not that, it's his totem. And throughout the whole movie, I was looking for chances to like see if he was wearing it or not. And the first scene where he spins the top for the very first time he has this gun when he's waiting it for, top, for the topple. You look at his his left hand and is there is no ring. Yeah. I'm like, that's reality right there, and then when he's talking to Ariadne in at the cafe, and I'm looking for his left hand, and he's he's hiding it, while he's explaining stuff. So like, then I realized like he, that he hit it on purpose, like the director, to hit it on pied on purpose if someone caught on about that, so that once he said, "Okay, where were we before?" that they at the very end once he finished explaining it to Ariadne, he uses his left hand and you see the wedding ring and it's and like I noticed dreaming. the wedding
2: ring when he's eating the soup in the very beginning too yeah. it passed by. I was like oh he has a ring on but I didn't even make that connection yeah, that it was his total,
0: totally but you don't think about that in the beginning of the movie but one thing I've, I was like so wedding on is that that last scene where he t- spins the top runs over to his kids and he just doesn't look back to see if it stopped spinning and then it just cuts the scene you don't see if it topples or not and I looked for his left hand in that scene. It doesn't show it. It doesn't show his left hand, so you Dang. don't know. Well, I gotta settle. We gotta settle this before
1: the podcast continues, so people just don't wonder it this whole time. So I, after I watched this like a month ago, the last time I watched it, I was like, I've got to know. Like I've watched this movie t- so many times with unresolved thoughts about whether it's reality at the end or not. And so I looked it up, and um, and I always Michael Kane, the guy who plays Cobb's dad. You know, the Professor Alfred, as we all know him. Um, so he was in a, he was in an interview, and he was talking about when Christopher Nolan gave him the script. He's like, oh, you know, I'm kind of confused. Like, it's hard for me to tell what's reality and what's a dream. And Christopher Nolan came to him and said, if you're ever in a scene, it's reality. So confirmed by the director, Michael Caine, right, when he's in it, it's reality. He's in it at the oh, end. So it's true. reality. Okay. Whenever,
0: that's true,
1: yeah, yeah. So, okay. So we've settled that debate. It's reality. So get over it. it. Michael Caine
0: is the right totem. That's what it is. Yeah, Michael Caine's a totem. <laughs> he's always there when we need him.
2: Uh, yeah, I mentioned this in the movie, but I don't know. I don't know why, but I just thought this was really cool. Right in the beginning, when Cobb is like infiltrating, um, what's his name, Saito's dream. Oh, uh. I don't know why, but this really just like, I thought it was so cool. He's When he's like going around, like shooting everybody, like you could tell he's like training, you know, he's like catching like the shells. Yeah. out of the gun as he fires i don't know that was just so cool to me that like if you're a trained like extractor you're gonna know like your stuff and just like know how to go around and just i don't know the way he planned out everything was so sweet i love that
1: yeah i also noticed this time watching it how like the movie follows its own rules like i always wondered when he's extracting the information from some and arthur dies and then like i was like why is the random earthquake and everything starts falling and when Arthur wakes up he's like the dream's collapsing because he was the dreamer. So like his and I was like, Oh, like that makes sense. It's not just a random earthquake. Like reality is, or dreamt reality is literally collapsing because the the creator of that reality is no longer
0: there. And that scene of him at Saito's, you know, quote unquote house is that when he dumps him in the in the tub and he looks up and like it tilts and then the water comes out. I found out when they were filming that they had like a hundred water tanks with like it was I saw a massive number of, water, of gallons of water and they shot it through the windows, oh, in goodness. order to portray that he was going under underwater. That it is was,
2: awesome.
1: The 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 level of like work that went into portraying the reality of said dreams is ridiculous. Like the hallway scene where Arthur is fighting in zero gravity when it's spinning. Like they l- built a hallway and spun it. So he could run around and like choreographed him running around different parts of the hallway fighting this dude. Like,
2: yeah, you can't like that. You could tell it's all real. Yeah. Like all that fighting. And the, you know, if you watch like beyond like them like actually jumping around, you could see like tiny objects like moving around like pieces piece of paper, the gun literally just flipping against the corner. Just is like the grout, is it spinning? You know, it's like you can't like if you do to CGI, all that you like CGI stuff. All these different details it just, that you'd have You could tell, can tell it wouldn't be real.
1: Stuff. Yeah it makes me wonder i don't know but it makes me wonder how they did like the zero gravity scene in the hallway
2: oh yeah in the elevator and everything yeah
1: like how did they do that or like when he's like floating them around in the room gathering them up like i don't know how they did that maybe just wires maybe illusions i don't know but it's cool either way (laughs) okay so any other fun details because i feel like each time we
0: talk about something i like want it there's there's one especially about the hotel scene is that i didn't realize until the last second so when he everybody was under and arthur's are just standing watching around them if you look back at that specific frame where he's looking around them, you look at the edges and it's blurry. Yeah, I it's specifically that. blurry. Why? Because that's what it feels like when you're in a dream. The corner, there's no corner. No, it's like like a square frame yeah. in a dream. Uh, it's all blurry in a dream, man. Every
1: it happened in a few scenes I noticed as well. Like every once in a while, like it almost like distorts it. Like it's almost kind of like you're watching a really old 3D movie without the glasses, but it's like also blurry out of focus type of thing. Like, it only happens a few times. It was in like that and then like, the only one that was like one with like Maul, I think when like Cobb was showing Ariane his memories. I think, I can't remember, but it happened a few times and I was like, why is this happening?
0: Yeah, it might've been that. I feel like that would've been there. But yeah, I noticed that. It's like, what?
2: All right, quick thing before we move on. I don't know about you guys, but you know when they first, that first kick on the bridge when he drives off the bridge? Those 10 seconds were just, like, really quick, right? But the fall from the bridge to the water was, like, two hours. I don't know what you guys think. Like, yeah. it's, like, the whole movie is the last, like, 10 seconds of falling from the bridge to the water.
1: Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Every time I watch it, I'm like, how infinite. is the <laughs> infinite man. man. Because no he's like,
2: all right, so there, we have, like, an hour until the jump. And then, like, five seconds later, it's, like, there's the first kick, you know, when he hits the bridge. And yeah. then he's like, okay, we got 20 minutes before we hit the water. And
1: yeah, then, I think that they, like... I, I, th- I was thinking about that this time, and I was like, maybe, I think, if I'm just justifying it, I think that, like, he jumped too early off the bridge, and so, like, that's why they weren't ready for it.
2: Well, yeah, I think so, because that, that one, that second car that like, gets on the bridge, I don't think it was supposed to make it. Yeah. So he was just going to go, it was going to go up, and he was going to wait Yeah. the right time, Basically. yeah, and then go just off. You know. But this, yeah, this movie had so many twists and surprises. Like, the whole time. Like, watching it this time, I noticed, like, how many times this just throws you. It's like, oh, psych, this happened. Oh, psych, Cobb is actually, he technically killed his wife. And oh, psych, you know, it's just like so many twists that you have no idea what's coming.
1: Oh my gosh, I noticed this time as well, like I was thinking about it and I kind of noticed the last time I watched it, but like the first time I saw this movie it was like, oh cool, it's just some guys that dream within a dream and then they plant an idea in somebody's head <laughs> and they have a super s- sweet snow battle, boss battle type thing at the end. <laughs> like that's what know, I walked away with. And then the last time I watched it, I was like, oh like, it started because of an engineering like competition, like engineering companies. And then like, they did this for the purpose of like, I don't know, like, what is the word I'm searching for? Like, capitalistic oh, competition. Yeah. Like, that's why they were doing it. And then it's like, oh, and then while doing it, there's all of this, like, drama of Cobb dealing with his reality versus dreams. And then there's this complexity of having to bring another person along, and then randomly somebody got shot that wasn't supposed to, and then the sedative too strong so that they could go into limbo. It's just like, each five, every five minutes, there's like something that complicates this heist yeah. more.
2: Like, I like, let's go through this now. Because I was confused, and I still kind of am. What is each person's job in the movie?
0: Okay, okay, okay. So we got... There's a list. They, list. Be, they always mention the word name for each for everybody. Yeah. yeah, so
1: let's do Ariadne. She's the easiest. She's the architect. She kind of designs the dreams. Um, Cobb.
2: He's just kind of like the mastermind of the whole thing? Yeah,
1: he's the extractor slash the person who knows the most about Inception. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, the, the like, whole idea. Like name him the, the, extractor. the extractor. Yeah.
1: Okay, then we got Arthur Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's kind of just like... So this. they
2: mentioned, like, he, he was supposed to do, like, the background checks. and yeah. like,
1: like, I'd noticed that this time, that, like, when, in the first dream, when Fisher's subconscious was fighting back, he was like, oh, it was supposed to show in the research, and cops like, well, why didn't you know? Like, we weren't supposed to deal yeah, with it. Yeah, like,
2: this is your responsibility, like, you're supposed to know the training he had and everything.
1: Yeah, him. he was supposed to know about the, the, the target kind of the logistics handle, And
2: then they also mentioned earlier with, I forget his name, but like Tom Hardy, because he mentioned like that Arthur is like the best at what he does, you know, best in the business or something. So I think it must be that like he, he goes into like the, the subjects like mind history, I guess, just to find out whether they have training, like what it's kind of going to be like.
1: And also just like, he's kind of just like an analyst, like learning how to drop people or kick people without gravity. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we got him, and then we got Tom Hardy. Uh, what's his name? I love his name. What is his name? It's Eve. Eves. Yeah, I love his okay, name. Yeah. He's, He's kind of just a like, forager, that's what they said, like yeah, forger slash kind of like a thief. Like he can disguise himself as somebody yeah, else's subconscious himself. member. Yeah. Um, okay. And the, other dude, the Asian Joseph dude, Saito. Uh, he, he was just he was the one that hired him. Yeah. And uh, then yeah. And
2: then Yosef or Yusuf was the, the,
1: chemist. the chemist. He built the. Sem- the yeah, so they could dream, yeah. and, and then Fisher, he was the target, um, okay. and Maul is his wife. Okay. Oh, and then, of course, I forget his name—the guy that
0: Tom Hardy pretended to be.
2: Oh, Uncle Peter, or whatever. Yeah, Uncle Peter, he was just
0: kind of. So from what it shows online, that um, Arthur's job was the planner, no. the researcher. Oh, so okay. he was more like real reality planner. Oh yeah, he's the one that he, he's the one that gathers his team.
2: Okay, all right, perfect. Glad we got that aside. All right, what are fall we going in. into next? Do we just
1: fall in about
2: it? Yeah, there's a lot. I feel like we could spend so much time going into this, but
1: yeah, we got to set a timer for ourselves so we don't go too long. Okay. We're, yeah.
2: We're I in. well, I have something that's killing me right now. So it. I love, I absolutely love the line when Ariadne's talking with with Cobb before, like when he kind of like confesses to her that like. Mall is like still there. and She's still like messing with him because she wanted to ask him. He's like, "Hey, can you check out the maze?" Uh-huh. And he <laughs> refuses to look at it. And then so he he kind of confesses Ariadne like why he can't go back to the states and stuff. And he says like, because oh, they think I killed her." And then you know they kind of finish the conversation. And he says, "Thank you." And she's like, "Why?" And he's like, "For not asking whether I did or not." I think this is huge. It, it's the total arc of um, Cobb, you know, of that guilt, and he mentions it at the end, too. No matter what he do, do, no matter if he was in a dream or in reality, that guilt is always there. What do you guys think
1: about that? So that was, like, in my two cents, I, that was the thing that like, I, I noticed a theme this time. And because I was... I want to just walk you through the process of how I realized this. They get into limbo. He takes Ariadne to, like, his house, and Maul's sitting there with a knife. And he, like puts his gun down and lowers Ariane's gun. And I was like, "Why? Like just get Fisher. Like get on like hurry up.
0: We're running out of go? time."
1: Like and I re- Yeah, and I was like, "Why? Like why does he sit down and talk to her? He's had this conversation with himself in his head and in a dream with his wife. How many times now? How many times has he relived this reality for years?"
2: Wait, how, how long has been gone? Not super long, right? Uh, I think
1: uh, a for a year, a few yeah? few years, it's I don't like know. Two years. I don't know, some, something like that. Okay, yeah. right. A decent amount of time. Like, how many times has he relived this? Like, why again? Why now? And I was thinking about it. I think it's that he finally came to terms. Well, well let me get back to that in a second. But he, he sat down and he talked to her about the guilt. And I noticed that, like, that is what was more powerful for him than a totem. It was more powerful for him than any perception that he gave himself of reality. It was the guilt that each moment that he would dream whether it was a memory or a dream, that he was still married to his wife, right? He's wearing his wedding ring. He's he's with his wife, Maul. That guilt that he feels that he caused her death helps him remember that he's not in reality. And I think that's what allowed him to survive, so to speak, um, limbo the first time with his wife and not have to incept himself. he
2: He mentioned that he knew he had to get out. Yeah.
1: And then also, like when he goes and sees um, Saito at the very end, the reason that Saito didn't know reality is because he had lost perception of it in limbo. But Cobb knew because he had the guilt that was constantly reminding him, you know, I have this guilt. What did I do wrong? And then he thinks about it slowly, kind of the way Fisher remembered previous dreams. And he remembers, oh, you know, I caused this to my wife. Owen, because I caused that to my wife, I've been on the run. But then I got this job, and this guy promised I could get my kids, and I have to go find him because he died. And uh, I think slowly, over years of being stuck in limbo he realized what he was supposed to do and so he was able to come back to reality because of the guilt so kind of the theme i noticed is like guilt in a way can give us is like a powerful driving force to to create a better reality so to speak and remind us of what's real and what's not what's what's meaningful and what's not
2: yeah and i think a big thing with it is you know the whole idea of inception is what caused that guilt right but you know, the whole plot line, the storyline is that he has to use the idea that gave him that guilt to get rid of you, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to accept, yeah, Maul's gone. I want to be with you, but you're not real. You're just a shade of who you were. So he has to use Inception to help out, what's his name? Fisher. No, Sato. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he could get back home. Yeah. So what started all was what ended it all for him. Yeah. So that was. Really-
1: I also think it's amazing that, like, in a way, so to speak, he like planted, not necessarily Inception, but he planted in his head, finally, the idea that he can move on from the guilt of his wife, which I thought was pretty cool. One other thing I want to say about that is, I think it's really cool how, and I I was thinking about it a lot, like, and I think it's kind of funny that at the end of the movie, he comes home And we know it's reality because of what we talked about earlier with Michael Caine being there and his dad and all that and not having his ring on, whatever. And he spins the top to, you know, double check check that he's in reality because who knows these days? Because I also noticed his wife pointed out that, like, even in his reality, he's running from random militarized people, whether it's from an, an engineering company or police force, like... Just like he would be in a dream running from a militarized subconscious. That I've noticed that his reality could seem a lot like a dream. So in addition to dreaming a ton and how that would confuse you, Like you go back to reality and the reality lives is so much like the dream he lives. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. And he goes home, spins the top, and he leaves it spinning. He walks away from it and never checks it and just chooses to be with his kids and see what they're building. And I, I think that it's funny that so much of like pop culture got focused on, what, oh, does the top topple or not? But I think Christopher Nolan was trying to say, like, he chose, whether it's reality or not, he chose to believe that he was home with his kids. He chose to accept that. Yeah. I think life can, in a, in a way, kind of be a difficult theme and a thing. And at some point, we have to choose our reality. What we choose to believe is our life. Not necessarily that we can have a dream that's different, but... In a way, we, we get to... Ex, ex, accepting it for what it is. Yeah, we get to choose...
2: trying to label it for something that it might
1: not be. Yeah, kind of control our reality that we, we set a standard or an expectation for ourselves and say, this is what I choose to believe is my reality, for better or for worse. I, I don't know, I just think it's... I noticed that this time that, you know, we get so focused on did the top topple or not, but maybe we should be thinking yeah. about what Christopher Nolan's trying to say about...
0: That's what I was kind of thinking about, because um, one thing I wrote down was that... um I, this might be a stretch or some sort of theory of mine, but this is what I got of it out of it was he that guilt was always there, but whether it was a dream or reality, and I feel like he knew whether his wedding was on or not, so he knew what was a dream, and what was a reality. But I feel like to me, my interpretation of him using his wife's totem whenever he wanted to know the reality. I feel like he didn't want, it wasn't for the purpose of knowing between what was a dream and what was reality. There was a point where he still missed her. He still missed being with her. And so he just kept trying to hold on to that. And so it toppled and it's like, and it's kind of like a reminder, reminding him, like, this is real. Like, she is gone. But if it doesn't topple, then like, oh, she's around and he he misses her. He wants to be with her and all that stuff. And so one thing I thought was really cool, as at the very end, is that he spins the top. You know maybe out of habit maybe just out of like one last time and then he sees his kids and he he sees that's what his true goal was is to be with his family and so he moved on from spitting this totem of knowing is she still there moving forward to this is what I believe in this is what my dream is
2: and that's also when it completes his arc when he finally gets to see his kids faces because he mentions earlier like you know, he's talking to Ariadne when he's like in that prison of memories or whatever mm-hmm. on how it, oh he, he's about he's, he needs to get like flee the country. and times running out, he wants to call out to them one last time to see their faces and you know before he knows that they run off and he can't. And that's when he chooses <sighs> to leave Mall and go for him and like he chooses to be with his family and be with his kids. It's the first time he could see their faces because in limbo, when Maul called his kids, you know, he say, like, hey, James and Philippa, or whatever, he turns away because he, he can't accept that yet because yeah. he needs to be able to move on from Maul to go back with his family. Yeah, to yeah.
0: And so, I want, going on, that was a good two cents you put there, but I want to go on, like, what Harrison was mentioning was that, like, a person can be stuck in the past and, like, check, like, is this the, the like, they have a dream that they want to live. They want something, they want something. And that they can constantly check is, am I living the dream right now? Am I actually doing what I want to be doing, what what makes me happy? Or am I just going out, choosing something, and believing that and sticking with it? And that's why I feel like from the point where he's at the table spitting the top to where he moves on and hugs his kids is that that's him completing his story arc but showing that that's what maybe a small message, what Christopher Nolan wanted to show was choosing a dream and believing it and sticking with it. Yeah. It's true. It may be off or different, but that's what I, that's what I got out of it. I thought it was really yeah. cool. I sometimes wonder, I mean,
1: maybe he said it in an interview that I just don't know about, but I like wonder what was the motivation for Christopher Nolan to make this movie? Like, yeah, of course, he probably had a cool idea one day. With yeah. all the cool ideas, he comes up was like, oh, man, this would be way cool to like make a film about dreams being controlled and a dream within a dream and, I'm sure that was just like the, the, the coolness, the excitement about the idea. But I wonder like, because I feel like good filmmakers always seem like they have something to say. Like there there's an experience or a belief that they have that they want to portray. Mm-hmm. And I, I often wonder what that is for him in this movie every if time I watch God, it. I
2: like, look at it backwards. Like even they did that in the movie too is remember like they wanted to plant an idea in Fisher's mind to break up his dad's company and they had to work backwards to the purest and like simplest form to help him think it was his own idea, you know? Um, his relationship with his dad and how he was disappointed he tried to be like him. And like maybe that's something like the directors like I'm trying like Christopher Nolan, like why would he do that? You know, like obviously great idea. But um yeah, we should definitely look into that and see, like, maybe what inspired him to, like, go with the way he did, like, make the movie the way he did, but...
1: Yeah, I mean, something you just made me think of is when Cobb is showing Ariadne, like, the prison of his memories, and he talks about, like, no matter what he can do, no matter what he does, he can't change these moments he regrets. Like, the moments of not seeing his kid's face, the moments of, like, his when his wife commits suicide and all this stuff, and and I think if like I think about it personally, again, I don't know what Christopher Nolan was saying, but this is like what I feel because of it. Is like I I feel like a lot of the times we make mistakes. There's moments that we relive in our mind that we go back, and no matter what we do, we can't change it. And like oftentimes, it's hard to accept the reality that that said thing that's causing us guilt is a part of our history. It's a part of our reality. That like you you made a mistake and you have to accept that like this, when my history is written, so to speak, this is a part of me. And I think that for me personally, it's sometimes hard to accept, you know, something I promised myself I would never do or I never wished I have to accept happened. And I think we can get like caught up on that sad reality and the need to change that before we can go back to what's good and what's true. And I think that's what Cobb was struggling with. He, he as, he had to accept that as sad as it is his wife committing suicide is a part of his history and i think for a little while he got caught up in trying to change that part of his history like you wanted it, to like you know turn the game off and restart yeah yeah so to speak like if i can fix this mistake and go back to my reality you know i can enjoy being with my kids that i can't go be with my kids i can't enjoy that reality until this problem is fixed because this problem or whatever is, is messing with my reality. But I think we have to come to terms with our guilt and understand that that guilt is what grounds us in reality and say, you know, this is a part of my history, but I ha- I, I choose to believe that, that life can be good and life can be enjoyed outside of it. And you choose to walk away your your perception of trying to control. I think his top, what I was saying was control. You, you choose to walk away from what you think you can control. You know, you walk away from what you, yeah, I'm I'm not very good at phrasing my ideas cuz like kind of you like, can't control
0: so. what happens around you. So per se a dream your dream or reality, but you can change you can control what you choose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like Yeah. Yeah, like it,
1: the the totem so to speak, the top, when he was in a dream, he could choose what was reality and what wasn't, what happened, what didn't. You know, he could remake memories so to speak, and he chose to walk away from that ability to control what did and didn't happen to live in the moment, and accept what did happen.
2: And to go along with that, that's what I think that that Maul did. You know, they're they're down in limbo, and she chose to walk away from the truth. Is that she couldn't stand being in like a paradise, pretty much, with her husband, building worlds and everything. But she couldn't stand the thought of doing that, but knowing in the back of her mind that that was all fake. And so she chose to abandon that truth. And so then that, I don't know, I I feel like that's just like the opposite of of what Cobb did. And like, you know, they still got to grow old together. They, you know, and Cobb even says that at the end, we had our time together. Um, But yeah, it's just being basically like, you choose what kind of happiness you want? What is your reality? You know, because we all perceive things different. And it's just basically how you want. So I think maybe, maybe that might be like a theme that the movie's trying to go for. Is that, yeah, we may all be living the same reality. But maybe for some people it's a dream, some people it's not. And you just get to choose what aspects you want to accept. And maybe other aspects or truths that you just don't want to accept.
1: Yeah. It's kind of interesting because like Maul... She, when she got back to actual reality after living in limbo for 50 years, she couldn't accept that their life wasn't as glamorous and as exciting as it was in limbo, I would think. And so she, feels she felt like life wasn't as good anymore. And so she thought that, you know, I have to wake up from this bland reality to go back to what's better and Cop did the exact opposite and said, I have to wake up from this glorious reality to go to back to what's bland, yeah. but what is real and what is meaningful. I don't know.
2: So what is more meaningful, reality or some dream where it's glorious and grand? I think you, you could argue for either take on that. Yeah, one it's,
0: it's more perspective. Cuz
2: you know some dreams are sweet, you know, I wake, yeah. you know, I'm flying around. That, it's freaking <laughs> ask, <laughs> It's freaking awesome, but they asked that question.
0: That they asked that question in the movie. And they're talking about the length. Like, the first dream is a week. second dream is six months. And the last one is ten years. Oh, yeah. Got, yeah. And they're like, who would want to be in a dream for ten years? And the guy responds, well, it depends on the dream. Yeah. So, uh-huh. it's like people...
2: And they and they talked about that, too. When they go to the sedative guy, Oh yeah, all the those people, people yeah, downstairs. they go there, you know, for three, four hours, but it turns out to be 40 hours for that one session, and they do it every single day. It's because, to them, their life is now the dream. They go there to wake up. They go when, there
1: to go to life. Yeah.
2: And when they're not dreaming, they're technically sleeping. Yeah. Which is super... It's just a...
1: Which is... Like they totally, totally flipped you. it. Like, when they're in the Paradox? dream... This is my re- reality... And then when they wake up, they're like, oh, no, this is me just dreaming a boring life. I got to go back to my reality that's in the dream. It's, it's so crazy. So cool. But I think that, like, at the same time, like, the, I can't stop hearing this, like, phrase in my head, the dream life. Like, who isn't striving to reach the dream life? The dream. Yeah, like, I'm living the dream. Who doesn't want to live the dream? So I think that, of course, you can totally make an argument for both. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think maybe the ultimate goal is to be able to truly have both. You know, maybe your dream isn't perfect. But like he says, he couldn't he couldn't dream up all the perfections and all the imperfections of his wife. That both of those is what made reality worth it. So maybe you can accept the fact of your reality, but it doesn't have to be bland. It can still be dreamy.
2: So do you think that has something to do with at the end when he says how Mall is just a shade of his wife? I don't know. What do you guys? What did you guys take from that when he says like oh I'll, he's like, what does he say to her? He says like, he's too yeah you're not good enough. Yeah, just a shade of who you were. Yeah,
0: I think it's about like he's wanting this. He wanting. He's wanting his wife because Arthur mentions Terry, audience like, what was she like in her life? And he mentions she was lovely. And he goes back. To, and Carl goes back to the dream, wanting his wife back, missing her, but she's not com- as necessary Complete. She's kinda dream, <laughs> kind of psycho in the dreams, you know. She's killing she's everybody. She's weird, and <laughs> she's killing everybody. She's on a killing spree. And so, like, it's not the same. And so I feel like she's like this shell where it's like, yeah, it's this dream, this memory of her. But it's not this complete where I can carry hold on to this dream of my wife. But the point where that's going to be different to where I could talk to my wife about anything. And she's going to react the way she wants to rather than what I want to react. Is that having that raw conversation and relationship is you can't dream that. You know, true, does that make in sense? Dream it's
2: it'd be how he'd want.
0: It's, before, he'd, it's before, how he'd how he'd want. Yeah. So it's what you would expect true, or what so you would, would be, or what you would suspect. But when in real life, it's raw, and so you don't really you can't control what, um, Everyone what's the word? Whatever else does or what what information you receive from just interacting with somebody. Yeah.
1: So there it is. Uh, the word control again. I think that this movie has deals a lot with like the kind of the balance of dreaming and dreaminess and reality and blandness for lack of better words, but also controlling and accepting that like there's so much of your life that is going to just be reality, we can call it. And there's some of your life that could be a dream and could be dreamy and some of it you can control and other parts of it you just accept. You know, you like you were saying, Cade, you know, like you can't control the way people react to all your conversations, but you can accept it but you can control other things. I don't know. Thoughts. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Never really understood this movie how deep it is. Like it was always just a movie about
0: dreams. That conversation was like, boy. This is getting real deep. Now. Yeah, we
2: could probably like watch this like next week and have a completely different podcast. Yeah, I Like it. honestly, this yeah, this movie is that deep and there's so many different like underlying themes and arcs going on where it's like what the freak is not going on. I
1: would love one day if we have the privilege of sitting Christopher Nolan down with a fourth <laughs> microphone and saying, why Come did you on, make man. this movie? Like, what was your motivations? What, was your what, what were you trying to tell the world? What
0: was your first
1: idea? Yeah, I don't know. Did
0: you dream about this? <laughs> did you dream about this?
1: Was it dreamy or was it reality? Did you control it or what? what did you, did tell you
0: tell
1: accept you tell it? Tell it? it? Is it a camera <laughs> that's out of film? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Crazy movie. It's tons of fun. It's a blast, yeah. Oh, also music in it. Phenomenal. Oh, my gosh.
2: I have the soundtrack on my phone and sometimes I just listen to it for fun. Yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh. You get so... uh, It's so good. And it sets the tone for the whole movie, too, in different Mm -hmm. moments and stuff. And It was awesome.
1: And we were watching, you know, on a cheap TV and, well, not cheap TV, but, you know, just TV speakers and, like, sometimes the Music was like so loud. It was just like, bah, bah. and I'm like, I can't hear anything they're saying, but it doesn't matter because I'm just enjoying the. Bah, bah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh yeah, great. Any any last words? Um, I'd say the last word is, like, I've loved this. I love this movie so much. I actually made a. Re- I did a uh, project on this in college. Like that's how much I love this movie yeah so everybody
1: go buy this movie because that's what we rated it yeah, and then also subscribe to our podcast everywhere that, that can be done <laughs> basement binge everybody Right. see you next week Take care. ciao ciao <laughs> <laughs>